I'm thinking in a work setting, again, trying to think about, well, people are concerned around the world, especially Gen Z, and that's another show we're going to do, about increases in pay. And younger people are demanding faster and higher increases in pay than their older counterparts did when they were their age. So I think a huge Mm. analysis of this question is... Should I work on helping my coworkers perceive my abilities or should I just work really hard and like continuously learn? So learning new skills on top of continuing to work hard by coming in earlier, staying later, whatever, doing extra projects outside of work, this slash culture. Or should I help cultivate the idea that I'm special with my coworkers? Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason Smith, and today with me is Alex Schur. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Schur. Hey, if you guys really like the show, don't forget to subscribe. Today, a new article on the BBC by David Robson, author of The Expectation Effect, explains how people's perceptions of your innate talent, not your innate talent, but people's perception of your innate talent might be more important than putting in the extra hours. We give you the insights into how to work in today's evolving workplace to get ahead in ways which might surprise you. What do you think, Alex? Is it hard work or talent? It's both. One is the premise of the other, though. Okay. I think there's three things going on here because you have talent and perception of talent. And then you all, well, actually, maybe the four things and then hard work and perception of hard work. Mm. Because I've had coworkers where people thought they were really talented. And I was like, mm. where did people get that idea? <laughs> I feel that quite often as well. And then I don't know if, if I am the one being snobbish or maybe I'm the one mm. that's not as smart, so I couldn't see mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, maybe it's they're just so talented that it's imperceptible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. And then when you were reading the intro to today's show, somehow I just picture a rebellious teenager saying, Mom, this is not what I'm good at. You think I'm good at this, but that's not, you know, that's not what I'm going after. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The typical trope of the Chinese or Indian student where they have to be a doctor or a lawyer or I don't know what, it, what's the list? It's doctor and lawyer, right? That's pretty much it. Dentist, very specifically. Yeah. Dentist, doctor, lawyer, dentist, something where you're immediately going to be a high earner, Yeah, theoretically, when you get out and then they're like, I want to be, I don't know, a guitar player or something. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, I want to dance, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I want to dance. <laughs> I mean, they, they, I'm sure there's a lot of successful dancers out there that are totally happy, well-adjusted, and even are make, having lucrative careers. So mm. I don't want to make too much of fun. Oh, no, definitely. I just not. If we're on that topic, just briefly, there are quite a few really amazing mm-hmm. Chinese dancers that are just spreading their name, their fame, their success and their art all over the world. Mm. And one of them is Miss Tan Yuanyuan. I mean, if we could ever have her on the show, I would be so thrilled. She was such a, a like a super achieved Chinese ballerina making her rounds in the San Francisco ballet group. And she's so elegant. But when we talk about people that are great dancers nowadays, did you think it was their parents thinking that they would be a great dancer in the future? That's why they enlisted. That's why they had to mm, mm, train mm. extra hours for being so excellent. Or they love to dance themselves. I think it's both. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably usually both. Also, mom Mom and dad, they can have, or sometimes other figures in their life, usually mom and dad, Mm. can have a very overwhelming positive effect on a child's disposition to like something. Yeah. So, you know, sitting down and saying, you have to do math, you have to do, that's not the way to get them to love doing math. You sit down and you do math with them and like lovingly explain how it's useful. Maybe they're going to end up loving math. Yeah. But I know a lot of parents who went, uh, because I was a teacher for a decade, Mm. more than a decade, and they would sit down with their kids and berate them while they did things. So like, Mm. that's not the way to inspire them to love that thing. But I do know here in Beijing, mm. very wealthy, very successful parents who are grooming their children to become like pianists. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. And singers. And they're doing it successfully so that the child also loves that thing. Yeah. And you know that that child is going to grow up and be one of the most successful pianists or singers, yeah. you know? You know, I had a very funny conversation with my boyfriend, Dalton, who's American. 
And Dalton said, Alex, every Chinese kid knows how to play one instrument. I was like, no, that's true. We don't just all go to music classes or instrument training courses. We had this conversation as we we're walking out of our compound and we ran into our friend who has two teenage daughters. <laughs> she was like, oh, they just came back Dude. from piano classes. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, you're doing it now. huh?" <laughs> well, you know, that's fantastic. Well, I think, you know, I think a lot of American kids know instruments, too, but not as much because mom forced them to take piano classes after school or whatever. Mm. It's usually because they saw they watched a lot of MTV and they're like, I want to play guitar or whatever. So I want to be like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, there is a lot of that. OK, I want to get to the article and kind of stay on topic here. American workers work hundreds of hours more a year than Europeans. This is according to Money.com by Peter Grieve, January 6, 2023. And apparently Americans are overworking. It's not mm. successfully impacting their pay, according to the article. So they're working really hard and making uh, the same or less than their European counterparts. So does working more in this context, when we're talking about this specific context, does working more help you earn more? What do you think, Alex? By the book, it doesn't look the case, right? If we're right. looking, if reading this article and people are working extra hours, but they're, not, they're not making more money, then that's the problem. Maybe, I mean, I'm more than welcome or more than open to hearing from you, Jason, and then other listeners of our show, because mm -hmm. it's just my opinion. I do think we should respect the working hours mm -hmm. that are written in your contract. But there are mm -hmm. some of the field cases where you do want to put in just an extra couple hours from time to time that either helps you learn something or helps you get a task done that makes you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and when that's mm -hmm. the case, do you really care about, oh, you know, I'm going to try to do a couple more hours today and I have to get paid. If I don't get paid, I'm going to resent this. Mm. There's maybe, I don't know. I like to learn things at my job. If a job I'm doing doesn't teach me anything new, then I get very... Mm -hmm. I can't mm -hmm. do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when I, for example, at my previous job, I was trying to put in hours because mm -hmm. the company has really good learning resources, right? So I get Rosetta Stone for free. So I was like, let me take an extra like 45 minutes French class. Of course, it yield nothing. I, I didn't, I still don't speak French, but you know, that extra hours I put in and then that if I put in that extra hour to learn French, then that means I will probably have to put in another extra hour to do the work that I, I need to finish that day. Mm -hmm. There is, it was a new challenge for me. So I was trying to keep up, I was trying to learn as much as I can. I was trying to learn beyond what my job scope really was so I can take a, I can have a better look at what my job really is. And when you work hard in that sense, is it so bad? I have so many questions for you. And I don't want to, yes, I don't want to make you angry. So I'm trying to think of the right way to put these. Oh, try me, Jason. Okay. All right. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's all remain calm. Now, okay. Let's say your job is communications, international communications. So mm. learning an additional language, if you're taking it very seriously to actually become capable of using it as a communication skill is directly applicable to your work. True. But if you're learning a skill that's a bonus, that's more for your personal life, yeah. like a little bit of French in case you go to Paris someday, is that working extra or are you just utilizing the tools that your job has given you after company time? Oh, then the latter one, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking if you're a programmer and they give you programming courses mm. and you choose to use some of your work time or stay late to work on programming, like learn the new C++ or whatever it is, right? Mm. Sure. That seems like you're working, kind of. Yeah. You're learning working. But if you're like a pro computer programmer and then your job gives you like Harvard Business Review courses and you're learning how to pr make a business mm. proposal, is that work related or is that mm. personal gain? You know, I think everything you're learning is personal gain. And then I think the mm, mm, for mm, me, mm. the resources that the company provides are definitely all work related and the more general like, you know, if we speak more generally, because let's say if you are a computer programmer and then you have free courses to learn how to make business proposals, how to manage a team, mm -hmm. then that could all come in very handy in the future when you make your career advancement you know, along your career path because mm -hmm. you'll never see a company giving their mm -hmm. employees 
free courses on how to cook a meal, <laughs> like how to make French food. Maybe. I don't know. I think there might be some jobs that actually, I'm just thinking hypothetically, there's always that uh, gray zone. Second question, next question. Is there a difference between, okay, firstly, obviously, if you're not a salaried employee and your boss asks you to stay late in America, that's probably good because you're going to make more money. But if say you're a salaried employee, it's Tuesday uh, at closing time, 3.30 or whatever time it is, right? Mm. Your boss asks you to stay late to finish some project and you need to stay late two or three hours. Mm. Mm. Is it different if I want to stay late to work on a project that's important to me because I want to put the extra quality work into it? It takes me a couple of extra hours that week. Mm. Or is it the same and how is it different if your boss asks you as a salaried worker to stay beyond your hours, say on a Tuesday? From my experience, and I think this speaks for a lot of people who work in corporate, people usually don't hate the idea of staying for an extra 30 minute or even an hour or two in rare cases, you know, to really get the job done. Because for them to be able to go to work every day to commute and to not be with family and not do things that they like to do, mm -hmm. they like at least some part of the job that makes them, that gives them the sense of fulfillment. So if there is a project that needs to be mm -hmm. completed, they will try to make it more presentable, better looking or in a better shape. What they hate usually is when you're asked to stay behind mm -hmm. uh, after working hours and it was a result of like, you know, unorganized planning of this whole project or just unreasonable asking from your leader that doesn't actually help you or the project. It only makes them look good or it was already their mistake or the people that are you're working with didn't really do everything they can or reasonably. And that puts you in a bad spot or that puts everyone in a bad spot. And when that's the reason why you have to stay behind and work uh, extra hours, work longer time, mm -hmm. that's when people get really, really annoyed and wasted time. And honestly, if that was the case, I would just very calmly say wasted time. to my leader and say, OK, I can work two extra hours, but I'm going to put in my overtime payment application. Let's go back to talent. So you have two coworkers. Let's say they both are able to produce the same exact amount and quality of work but one stays two hours late, three days a week, and one's able to finish it within the allotted time frame. You're HR, and you can only give one person in your department uh, the moving ahead increase in pay, which might be like 9%, mm. versus the on-track pay increase for that year, which is like 5 or 6%. Mm. Who gets the extra money? The person who works longer hours or the person who is able to do it within the allotted time frame? Oh, just I felt like I changed my mind like, 20 times as you were reading this because first I was like <laughs> if I was HR if it was just me personally I like people who are more efficient I never mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I myself you know if you didn't know that Jason I myself was never the super hardworking type or like I'm going to be staying late until mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've always been trying to find ways where it's I put my efforts where it matters where it produces the most it brings the most reward so I was like in the first in the beginning I was like oh I'll definitely promote the guy who's more efficient one among the two. And then I was like, but the other person is willing to spend more time. And you're talking about being a leader of this team. Do we want people who are more committed to this project or this team? And then the people that work for them can be more efficient to get more things done. And this person just needs to be kind of the backbone, you know, the spiritual center of the team where everybody looks at them and think this is what we're going to do. And so my mind was going back and forth. But then I was like, but if he's working, if the other person's working. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Alex is having an entire conversation without me. This <laughs> is great. <laughs> I know. So I, with myself, I think this is what HR does. And this is the conversation that they have with the these people's supervisors. It's a hard, what I'm trying to say is, Jason, it's a hard question to answer. Well, we could leave it there if you don't want to answer it. I, <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Listening to the bridge. Okay, so this is from the article by David Robson Why People Reward Innate Talent Over Hard Work. This is, uh, says Thomas Edison may be the most often quoted with his claim that genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, end quote. Yeah. But many other variants exist. Just consider Octavia Butler's advice for new writers. Forget talent. If you have it, fine. Use it. If you don't have it, it doesn't matter. Mm. As a habit, it is more dependable than inspiration. Continued <laughs> learning is more dependable than talent. And uh, Portuguese footballer Cristiano Ronaldo emphasizes the love, blood, love, love. sweat, and tears yeah. that went 
went into his training. Talent without work is nothing, he said, when asked about his secrets of success on the pitch. So most people say really hard work is more important than talent. That's the vibe that you get from, you know, a lot of the elite people who have been very successful. I laugh because there is this Chinese musician. I really like him. He's from Beijing, good, great personality. And he made his fame when he was very young. And then he went through so many, you know, twists and turns in his life. And now he's in his late 30s, I think, or mid 30s. We're about the same age. Mm -hmm. And he has sinned through life. So he has a lot of great quotes. And on this topic, he said one time, he said, Mm. give it your all. Put all efforts you want in the world and do more than what you can do. Try harder than you think you can. Only after you try harder than you think you can, will you know how important talent is. There was a boy, he graduated with five university degrees. He's 12 years old in America. I don't have his name with me, but I read the article last week. He just Mm. finished. It's, you know, the end of the spring semester. They're all associate's degrees. So instead of basically he was in like the second grade or something and his mom realized he was bored out of his mind. So she enrolled him in junior college. Mm. She said, we're going to homeschool. (laughs) And then while he was doing his homeschool assignments, he uh, enrolled in junior college and started attending at like seven years old or eight years old. Mm. And he just started taking courses and he just graduated 12 years old, five associate's degrees. Wow. With I think his GPA was 3.92, which is almost all A's, you know, a couple B's here and there. Yeah. And so clearly this boy is not just hardworking. Clearly this boy was born with special gifts and he's uniquely mentally talented Mm. at learning. I mean, maybe I don't know how that's going to translate into his career, but clearly absorbing information and putting it back the way that a university uh, style setting grades a person. This child, this 12 year old boy is extremely gifted at this. Mm. So there are people who are in fact innately talented at something. Mm. You could have someone who plays piano their whole life, continued learning, right? Yeah. And you could have, and they could be really successful. They could be incredible, one of the best pianists of all time. Yeah. And you could also have someone who, you know, barely practices at all, just, you know, practiced a few hundred hours and then suddenly is just one of the best pianists in the world also. Mm. And so, Mm. oh, I mean, You say, "Mm," but this 12 year old boy kind of proves the case Uh. that some people do have gifts like some people have both. Some people have gifts and they combine those with incredible hard, incredibly hard work like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Clearly, he has some kind of ability to manipulate music beyond what is normal. And he slept with his guitar. Wow. He would play until his fingers bled and then put super glue on the tips of his fingers so he could keep playing. Mm. So this is a person who had both. Mm. But it seems to me that talent, true talent applied at the thing that someone is really good at is very rare. And so if you are really talented, even, you know, most of us don't really know, are we truly talented at something or not? So it seems to me, Mm. talent or not, work hard because at least hard work probably pays off. Exactly. But we don't even know if talent is going to pay off. If you're talented or if you perceive that you're talented or do your coworkers perceive that you're talented? A lot of people feel like they're underutilized. They're underappreciated. They feel very talented talented and they feel looked over. I think that's a lot of people. Mm. So the perception of your coworkers, whether you're talented or or not matters, in my opinion, less than actually working really, really, really hard because no one can really tell if you're super talented unless you're Mozart, Mm. because you have to be in that 0.01% of people who are are absolutely beyond question, really talented at the thing that they're doing. Mm. I think the thing is where when we talk about talent, because the word itself, people keep thinking it's something special. Mm. It doesn't have to be something special. It could just be the case. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this sounds a little ridiculous, but if you could sit at the desk for a whole day and not having to do anything else except for going to the bathroom, of course, that's a talent. That's a talent for being stable, for being just at the same spot without being distracted. You know, highly. I have a lot of talented coworkers. Focus. <laughs> no, but you see all of these people in our, in our office building, they need to go downstairs to either have a cigarette, you know, well, don't smoke, just go for a walk, get a snack, get a go, get a coffee. And this is every single office building. That's why Mm -hmm. it's such a great idea to have small businesses around office buildings because people have this demand. They have this need. But there are those people who can just sit there for a long time without doing that. And they they don't feel like they're being confined to their seat. They don't feel like they're not allowed to do stuff like they're just okay with being in front of their computers. So it's not really something because it's not just artistic talent or being really talented. 
doing Excel sheets, you know, like you just do. You don't even need to use a mouse to operate on your Excel sheet. and You can do data analyzing. It's a lot of other things. When you have talent, you don't have to be the, you know, when you talk about the 10 year old a pianist. I just watched a, a video of this 10 year old little violinist, this little girl who's just insanely amazing. And it was a Korean TV show and they invited one of the top violin players in Korea to watch this girl. They were going to have a, a kind of a, a battle. But when she started, like the face on that person, the look on that person's face was just, it was genuine shock. Couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't believe what he's hearing, what this little 10 year old is doing, because that's something that he has been training for his entire life. And he is one of the best players in Korea, possibly in the world as well. But the thing is, there's a story in China for the longest time that everybody talks about it. It's called the lament over Zhongyou, of the oblivion of Zhongyou. Zhongyou was a little kid who's very talented at reciting mm -hmm. poems at a very young age. And people are like, oh my God, I will never know as many poems as he does at the age of five. And so mm -hmm. his dad is really proud of him. So his dad takes him around mm -hmm. the whole country, traveling everywhere. Like he was doing, his dad was doing tours like thousands of years ago, you know, <laughs> hundreds of years ago. Yeah, like we're, we're going to tour China. And then he starts doing that. And then everywhere he goes, people always marvel at his talent and people say things like, I'll never reach his level. And the thing is, because he was exhausting all everything he knows, and then he's doing all of these things without having input, without doing the training, without putting the hours in, by the time he reaches the age of 15, in the article, it says he basically, he blends in with the crowd. He's no longer extraordinary. He's just ordinary now because you've basically wasted your talent. So your talent will go away. You know, your talent disappears if you don't continuously put in the hours. I'm thinking in a work setting, again, trying to think about, well, people are concerned around the world, especially Gen Z, and that's another show we're going to do, about increases in pay. And younger people are demanding faster and higher increases in pay than their older counterparts did when they were their age. So I think a huge mm. analysis of this question is... Should I work on helping my coworkers perceive my abilities or should I just work really hard and like continuously learn? So learning new skills on top of continuing to work hard by coming in earlier, staying later, whatever, doing extra projects outside of work, this slash culture. Or should I help cultivate the idea that I'm special with my coworkers? I'm thinking of very young people because this point in my life, I don't think this is a discussion. I'm just going to keep working hard. That's what I do. I'm basically a, a robot and a, my job is to learn new skills and to work really hard. So I'm really thinking if I'm a 22 mm. year old, which one is more important? Which one should I? I'm not saying you can't do both mm. because obviously that's like the, you know, the C answer. But which one is more important? Which one should you emphasize? Yeah. Helping highlight your talents so that other people perceive that you are talented um. or developing new skills as an ongoing project? Which one is more important? Which one should you leverage more? I'm very old school. People will have very different answers. We ask actual 22-year-olds. Mm -hmm. If you're listening and you're 22, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com and let us know your answer. Go ahead, Alex. The latter one. Develop skills. Learn things. You're still at the primal age of acquiring new skills with much less effort. Ask Jason and Alex. It takes so much more. I want to add to that because I agree with you. That was my answer. And this is the reason why. And I wanted to get to this point after we kind of like hit all of the necessary steps to get here. If you really develop skills for many, 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 many years into your career, when you're in the middle of your career, your abilities will be indistinguishable from talent. I agree with that. That's why they don't do IQ test after you pass the age 14 or something like after you pass the age 14 the iq test you take is no longer accurate because people can learn that's what makes us human and then that becomes right. an integral part of how your brain functions so i mean if you're a young person what we're trying to say is learn and learn and learn and learn and work hard and work hard and work hard and work hard and yeah if you burn out take a little break that's cool too don't worry take a vacation take some whatever you know do you mm. but as you're progressing through your life your career continuously learn new skills, even ones that don't seem applicable, like French or like, you know, uh, how to make a business proposal, because you never know that might end up cross fertilizing what you're doing, cross pollinating and really help your career in ways that you didn't anticipate. Just constantly learn every kind of new skill that appeals to you all the time. And eventually those skills will add up and pay off in a way where coworkers will see you with all of these skill sets and think, that person is talented and that will be because you worked hard. Yeah. And if we want to speak about career 
in a broader sense, learn things that you don't even see if you're 22, that is. You don't that has immediate connections, what your job is, right? Or what your current line of work is. Learn, you know, if you love cooking, go take a gourmet or master cooking class. Mm -hmm. You never know. That might be your second job. That might be sideline gig that you want to do. And then one day it blows up and you become a master chef yourself. You never know what's going to happen. What we're trying to say, if you're still at that age, if I wish I could turn back time to 13 years ago. Turn back time. (laughs) Sorry, 1980 song. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Before before I was born. So sorry. Um, If I could turn back time 13 years ago. Uh, When I was 22, I would have not, you know, all the classes I tried to sign up for, I would have just gone through all of them instead of thinking, oh, I don't want people to see me this way, that way and not finishing them. This is from the United Nations. This is the title of a U.N. article. Mm. Too many employees are overworked, U.N. agency says. So a report by U.N. ILO said that people are overemployed. And it says overemployed workers struggle with work-life balance and overemployment is associated with more health issues, alcoholism, family conflict, etc. So it says more than a third, one third of all workers are on the, and it's not, and the U.N. is the world. So that means everyone. We're not talking just about Americans here. Sorry, Americans. More than a third of all workers are on the job at least 48 hours per week. One third of all humanity is working, quote, regular long hours of work remain a serious concern in the most of the world today. So what do you think about that, Alex? It's just the day and age we're in. And then I think the calculation, I want to know how they make the calculation to get to 48 hours per week. Mm. Because I work like 70. I was thinking, wow, I wish I could only work 48. <laughs> right? You, when we think about it, for example, when you wake up in the morning, technically my work starts at 10 a.m. and ends at 7 p.m., right? And then I have, I showed up, that's nine hours. That's a terrible, that's a horrible schedule. (laughs) Who wrote that schedule? (laughs) Um, Really? Yeah, so basically you wouldn't be able to do anything in the morning and then it's too late to do anything when you come back. But um, I've almost never heard of a schedule so bad. (laughs) Sorry. That's a very standard uh, working hour for a lot of tech companies in China, at least, right? It should be like nine to five, at least. Come on. Right. So it's 10 to seven. And then that's how many hours is nine hours. And then technically you should have an hour off during lunch, right? Mm. But the thing mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. when you're having lunch, you're most likely talking with your coworkers about whatever that just happened this morning and whatever you need to do about it in the afternoon, which is work-related. So is it really lunch break or is it a work lunch, right? And then because of the nature of the company, a lot of companies, they'll most likely deal with mm. cross time zone communications, especially for the team I was on. Right. We had yeah. coworkers in Singapore who start working at eight in the morning. They don't really schedule meetings, but I will start checking messages from them starting from eight at the latest. And then there will be other messages coming from the U.S., you know, at earlier hours even. And then sometimes I need to have early meetings with the U.S. at like 730 or eight. And then I still have to go to work and I still have to stay at work and finish my working hours because there's just that much to do. One thing that a lot of people refuse to come to terms with is that as long as you work, you'll never be done with work. You're never just going to be like, okay, I'm going to work like 14 hours today and tomorrow I'll have nothing to do. It'll never be the case. (laughs) It'll never be like that. So in that case, everybody's working way more than the eight or nine hours that are on the clock for them at work. It's like you're almost at work for 12 hours, but then people are like, oh, but you're just replying to a message. How long does that take? Well, it takes your mind into that whole mode of being at work. And then it's hard for you to do anything else. You're listening to The Bridge. I have two things to say. One, I would like to tell the same story that you just did. So just pretend I did because I have the same thing. I literally, the first thing I do, I open my eyes and grab my phone to check my social media because I'm a social media person. So literally I'm awake. I go to sleep looking at my social media. I wake up looking at my social media. So all you could say every hour that I'm awake, I'm active in my job. But I mean, I have a, we have a friend named Morris, friend of the show Morris. He came on three or four times in the past. Yeah. And he was talking about this. He's a lot more seasoned than us. He's 63. Yeah. And he mentioned that salaried workers, if they work in, you know, thinking kinds of jobs, really, they mm-hmm. are always working because even when they're not working, 
they're thinking about work mm. and they're solving problems and coming up with so they might be out with their friends at dinner and they just solved a problem while they're eating chuar or something they're like oh okay mm. monday morning i'm gonna input that that'll solve this problem Ta-da! Yes. so even like friday night when they're out with their friends they're working because their brain is always actively thinking about the set of problems that they're dealing with yeah and then you will be, even if you're not thinking about it, you will be talking to your friends about it because I can't make sense to people I work with in my company. So I'm going to complain to my friends about it. And then you end up spending more hours, quote unquote, on work. I'm Jason's only friend. Me and baby are Jason's only friends. <laughs> he spends four hours talking to us. My producer is my wife and the two of you. And like occasionally I get to talk to a new person. We call them guests. And those are my very, very temporary friends. <laughs> That's Jason's entire social circle. Yeah, yeah, basic. So please write us so that Jason could have more friends. Please. Okay. So (laughs) I also thought this is interesting. This is from the same UN website. Fifth of workers globally have less than 35 hours of work per week. Mm. And a third of these workers are getting paid for less than 20 hours per week. So I think that's really interesting. So firstly, you have the French who are full paid for 35 hours. Yeah. It sounds like they have a very good system. (laughs) And then you have a lot of people who are working a lot less hours. And then you have, of course, people who are laying flat or like living with their mom. And they're apparently uh, Mm. something like nine million jobs in America. It was six million people Mm. who refused to take those jobs. They were like, I would rather not work than work at this job. So they just live with their friends or their mom or their dad or whatever. They have their own special circumstances and they refuse to work. So, you know, we have the world is a very complicated mosaic of very... You know, it's a very strange quilt where some people are working an enormous amount and maybe being paid well or not. And some people are working very little and maybe paying well or not. And some people are not working at all and probably not being paid. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's hard. It's a fun discussion to have. And we're not trying to really cast a standard here on you want to stay at extra hours every day, you do it. But the, here's my tip. Don't try to make other people feel bad about it. And don't try to make yourself feel better about spending more hours at work because other people aren't. Mm. When I say I come in early, you know, most days I come in an hour early. But I'm for that hour, I'm usually working on something like mm. my own book or whatever. So... I am at my physical workplace, mm. usually not working on my work. I'm uh, Sometimes I am a little bit because it comes up. But most of the time as I'm working on extra projects, but those projects also help my work because we're in media. If I publish a book, probably that's going to get us more fans, probably more Twitter followers, et cetera. Yeah. So like it kind of like all layers on when you're doing this slash culture thing that Alex does, if you can get things that are in a related field, then they can complement each other. Absolutely. It comes together in the end and it come, kind of serves you the most in ways you don't understand. For example, my team, the team I was on, it was primarily about writing, even though it was a very functional type of writing. But if you read a book every day or read something every day consistently, it helps with your the skills that are required to do your job. Mm. I noticed that when I'm doing an intense amount of research, my tweeting is better because I have new ideas. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's this angle. There's that angle. There's this thing. And, you know, like and so learning new things helps me pepper my social media with uh, (laughs) better and more interesting insights. I want to talk this, but this is more specifically about the United States. So this is uh, thebalancemoney.com. Yeah. And this is from September 7th, 2022 by Allison Doyle. What is the average number okay. of work hours per week? And so this is for the United mm. States specifically. And it said, as of 2021, American worked an average of 38.7 hours a week. Mm. So it varies a little bit by age. So age 16 to 19, 25, because there are laws. Age 20 to 24, 34.8. I don't understand how that works. Maybe it's because there's like they're interns at college. And then the 25 to 54, which is the standard middle age kind of yeah. 40.2. And then over 55, 38. So it looks like Americans are working about the right amount to me. It really looks pretty nice. But, you know, the funny thing I'm thinking about when we look at average stuff is like, how many hours is the person that's at the top of the chart? <laughs> you know, uh, who's the person that that's working the the least hours. Mm, mm. My brother, Robert, who listens to this show, probably, I'm just joking. Sorry, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's one thing that I loved, though, which was a shame because I wasn't really working when I was in the United States. I was going to grad school, but I did know that there's one thing called the happy hours. 
where you're, you and your team just go to a bar at 4.30 or something. That concludes your work day and then you have like happy hour from 4 to, to 7. Then you could go on about your night with your dinner plans or family time or whatever. So that cuts one of your work days really short. And then people are usually all going. I never got to work for a company like that. What? Is it a New York? Is it a New York thing? I don't. Oh, my God. You drunken New Yorkers. <laughs> <laughs> How else are we going to feed the waiters and waitresses and, you know, the aspiring Broadway actors? That's mean. OK, I'm sorry. I apologize. That's mean. But, you know, it's a culture. It's a working culture where people do spend time outside of work, which is kind of part of work as well, because you need a bond with your team. Um well, I do want to go back again because this article is actually quite, there's a lot in it. Mm. And I think we've already looked over a couple of the slight details in it. So this is the BBC article by David Robson again, Why People Reward Innate Talent Over Hard Work. If you just read the title, mm. Why People Reward Innate Talent Over Hard Work, the article specifies it's talking about the perception of innate talent. Mm. So if someone has you know, spent 10 years learning a skill so well that it's imperceptible that it's not talent, that, you know, it's indistinguishable from talent, then they're going to reward that. Yeah. But HR is more likely to give someone a pay raise or to reward people to give them more opportunities and development opportunities if they think that the quality of their work is higher versus the amount of hours put in. So we asked Alex earlier, who would you give the raise to? The person, the two people are able to do the same amount of work. One person works longer. One person works better. HR is more likely to reward the person who works better or the person who is perceived as having worked better. So the person who people think has special skills or can do something especially well okay. will be the person that usually gets to advance. Probably most of the time. OK, I was having hesitation on how to answer that question, because I do think there's a difference between my personal preference of working style and what HR really is looking for a whole team. I do think if you can work better, smarter, and this applies to everything else in life. I think if you could do everything smarter, that's just a better way to go about it. If I could find a way to do things, to get things done in four hours, why would I want to spend an extra three hours just to do it the way that everybody else does, you know? And then especially if we're talking about being in a company environment in this context, the idea of a company is to have a higher profit margin. And the margin comes from doing more work in less time or better work in less time. And if you can't serve that purpose, are you really good for the company? Maybe you would be good for morale for a little bit. But long term speaking, are you really making the company better? Or are you growing to be a better employee or worker or just whatever you're doing? Well, you know, that's interesting because you put it in this very analytic way where you're thinking about it logically. In the article, there is someone named Hay and it says, Tay suspects the naturalness bias may be a result of the brain's non-conscious processing. And there apparently have been broad studies, a large body of psychological research, wherein people perceive someone as having innate talents, whether that's just a perception, because you could build it for 10 years so well that it's indistinguishable. We kind of pointed that out. But if people perceive that someone has an innate natural talent, they're more likely to Mm. reward that not because of analytics, but because of an innate bias in people's perception of each other. So people see another person and they judge as having an innate talent, whether that's true or not, mm. then they will automatically assume that mm. that person is vastly superior at that skill. <laughs> even if someone else works, let's let's change yeah. the equation. Now it's not one person working really hard and within the requisite amount of hours and the other person working long hours. Let's say one person works really long hours and outdoes the person who works regular hours, but people perceive the person who works regular hours as innately talented, yeah. they're still more likely to be rewarded than the person who does more work and is a more effective employee and works more hours. People will reward the person that they innately perceive as being talented over the person who works harder and does more work. Mm, I mean, that's kind of why we're hiring people, right? Otherwise, we can just hire machines who stay there for the longest hours. Yeah. Well, I think our advice still sticks because you can get people to perceive that you're innately talented by learning an enormous volume of skills. So if you become so skilled at something that people, mm. you know, think that you are innately talented at it, then you get the same advantage. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. This is another article 
Tina Gerdeman, hard work isn't enough, how to find your edge. So this is kind of like tips and tricks on how to get people to start perceiving that you work hard. Number one, mm. identify the basic goods you have to offer, which will enrich others. So we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show, mm. sometimes people don't know what their own skill is. And Alex pointed out, if for one example, sitting still and not needing to go downstairs for breaks period often is a kind of talent. I don't know. You make me feel bad because I'm the guy like every two hours I go for a stroll. So, man, I feel bad now. Oh, <laughs> I mean, hey, that's a way of recharging your mind. You know, uh-huh. sure. Thanks. No, it, it, I'm pretty sure there's scientific studies about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, actually, I get to the point where I'm staring at the screen. It just looks like a big blur of color. And I'm like, OK, I need to go for a walk. Usually my phone will tell me every hour stand up. It has a little green guy that's like, get up, get out of your chair. And I'm like, no. But after two hours, if I don't, it's just like nothing's going to get done. And under this category, identify basic goods. It says, you know, what strengths Know your strengths and weaknesses, you know, improve your ability at communicating. So communicating your skill set. So if you think that your skill set's being overlooked, like so many people that feel like they're being ignored, then highlight what skill you think you have so that your leadership or, you know, coworkers know what thing to come to you for. You know, one thing that I learned when I studied networking is it's great to make contacts, mm. but you have to be participating in that network. So one important thing to do when you're making a network is know what people, yeah, what role you will play in their network. Yeah. So you meet someone and they say, oh, I'm a publisher, blah, blah, blah. And then you can say, oh, I am very good at copy editing, whatever, you know. So, yeah, each of you know if they need someone who is in publishing or who is in copy editing. Yeah. This is the person to go to. So an important thing is making sure that you have these elevator pitches, not just for ideas, but for who you are. So you meet someone, you're like, hey, I'm Bill. I'm in the such and such department. I'm everyone comes to me for X problem. Yeah. And that way, people yeah. immediately when they meet you, they know, OK, Bill is the go to guy when we have printer issues. I mean, that may be something that people really need you for, you know, whatever it is. Let people know what it, I'm really great at, you know, solving computer problems if something goes wrong. Boom. Hey, Bill, I have a problem. And when people start calling Bill over all, very often, suddenly Bill becomes integral to the team. <laughs> yeah, it's basically skills exchanging, skills and resources exchanging. What do you have that will be good for me? What do I have that be good for you? And sometimes when people say, oh, you gotta go make connections you're like oh you know i gotta know these people who have resources and then you know they're better than me or at their disposal it's not necessarily the case regardless of what you have or what you don't have you have to think about yourself you know with everything that we've talked about today so basically we're asking you to try this idea of operating yourself as a brand regardless whether and it's not like oh i have to do like you know social media to make myself a brand even at work you're a brand it's what people see in this brand of you and what they think the value is, what do they think the value is of this brand and at the end of the day it's all about the keyword that kicked off today's discussion which is the perception of what your talent is hello i'm jason and if the elevator gets stuck i will make dad jokes until he gets unstuck <laughs> <laughs> see i might not solve the actual problem but i'll make the waiting time feel a lot more fun than it can be yeah you won't laugh but you'll smile uncomfortably the whole time <laughs> <laughs> What a great idea, Jason. <laughs> Number two, own your constraints and encourage others to see past them. I'm not really sure. I don't really understand this. Alex, can you shed some light on what you think this means? Own your, say that again, own your. Own your constraints. So like, hello, I'm. I'm, I'm that is so. <laughs> hello, I'm Jason. And if the elevator gets stuck. But I can't do this. <laughs> I can't. Think. No, no, no. I, I was thinking my, my, my constraint, my talent and my constraint would be the same thing. Hello, my name is Jason. And if the elevator gets stuck, I'll make dad jokes. I would think. <laughs> I would think the constraint is I can't fix the elevator, but I have this other talent. Oh, yeah. That could get you out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. I don't know. I don't know if you should do that. Yeah, I'm not sure that you should be like, hello, I take breaks a little more frequently than other people. But when I'm working, I work really hard. So ignore it. <laughs> I never I never like owning my constraint. I understand being honest and candid, you know, not hiding things. Mm -mm -mm -mm. But why would I like I would own my constraints to myself. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I'm pretty sure this person has good arguments and case studies to support this. But from just an ordinary person who's been on this world for 34 years and who's seen a lot of people and interacted with a lot of people, encouraging others to see past your constraints mm -hmm. is a very, very rare case. It doesn't happen that often. It takes a very extraordinary qualities from the, the other party to be able to say, OK, I want to see your constraints. And then, you know, I kind of disagree with this. I'll see past a little them. bit. 
There was, okay. I, I saw a joke recently, and I think it's really funny. They said, please t- name one of your flaws. And he said, I'm too honest. And they, and they say, I don't think that's a flaw. And he says, well, I don't care what you think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, I actually disagree with this. I mean, I don't mean to be disagreeable. Maybe that's my constraint. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Number two is <laughs> instead of owning them and trying to get others to see past them, I think I go with firstly what Alex said, own your constraint. Okay, I have this problem. I recognize myself and then try to overcome you it. You recognize it yourself. Exactly. Yeah, you try to improve that. So it's either like gone or it's considerably lessened. Yeah. So you get cranky when you don't have coffee. Okay. Know that you have, because you haven't had your coffee yet, that you might be cranky. Exactly. And just keep your mouth closed. <laughs> then, you know. That is a great advice. But here's my, this is why I say it. For me, we like people. And then, because we're talking about, you know, in professional settings or, or academic settings where you do need to accomplish things. And do people care about your shortcomings, your constraints, your downsides? Yes, if they are going to become detrimental factors that are bringing projects down, that are destroying the company. If they're not, going up to people Mm, mm, mm. and say, this is what I can do, but I can do this. If you start with the negatives, what are we trying to achieve here? And then I think own your constraints quietly. And then in professional settings, just don't, I think more than own your constraints, don't over exaggerate of what you can do. I think that's a lot better. That's a better type of honesty that can get you places without other people going, you know, ooh, frown. Why this person telling me that they can't tell that jokes? I mean, of course they can't. I don't wholeheartedly agree with how this is going to help that much. Um, I would twist it and then make it just work on it yourself because your constraints might not be other people's constraints. And then it becomes really weird when you bring it up. I agree with number three. Focus on ways to delight others. So I think this is an important skill set to have. And I'm not talking about bringing donuts to work, by the way. <laughs> oh, man, if we'll work together and you want to bring me donuts, please, by all means. Right. But that's not <laughs> people are going to perceive you as like a valued coworker because you're the gal who brings donuts. So focus on the way to delight others. Like sometimes if you do have a special skill or maybe it's not even your primary special skill, you have another way of doing things, mm. then you can yeah. put a bow on it with that skill and, you know, finish your project in unique and special ways. It says in the article, find those points of connection to surprise people in memorable, engaging ways yeah. that give you them a pleasant feeling. So I think that's a really important thing, you know? Yeah, I did this one thing on Valentine's Day. I was ha- I was on a business trip to Shanghai in our Shanghai office. And then there were people selling flowers downstairs. And it was a very windy day. It was really cold. But I was like, you know what? I want to buy my team flowers. And I just bought wow. a rose for every one of them. And it didn't cost me that much. But, you know, I was like, I don't know if the company cares about whether you're single or you get to celebrate today, but I care about you. So here's a rose for all of you. And they're like, oh, this is from the company. I was like, the company doesn't care about Valentine's Day. I agree that that's part of it. But I think it's also about wowing people. It actually says this in the article. It says it's about Mm. entering high stakes situations with ideas for Mm. helping others with the unexpected. So, you know, if you have a special way that you can make a product of better quality by just doing an extra 30 minutes of, you know, I'm not exactly how to put it within the context of our work, which is doing a radio show. So maybe I open a new social media account on something that someone has never heard of. Like, I don't yeah. know, t- Telegram. I'm, I'm not good at Telegram. So suddenly I'm on Telegram and I grow on Telegram. And then like uh-huh. later I'm like, look, I've got a bunch of followers on Telegram. I'm helping grow the show there. Okay. So something like that. So I think it's about coming up with unusual solutions to problems, presenting, using your unique talents to add yeah. additional value beyond the work that you're supposed to do using your unique abilities. Yeah. And I think this actually requires, if you're on the dig a little deeper, it requires you to really take a good look at yourself. And then the perception shouldn't be cast on you by other people completely. You should have some sort of say, I want people to see that I'm good at. And then that requires you to be at a job that somehow makes you feel passionate and inspired. Not all the time. I don't think there's any job that makes you feel inspired every single day and you love every little aspect of it. Mm. But if it's something that makes you feel happy, makes you feel accomplished 
and inspired and that you're being valued at and you're learning new things, then you'll probably be willing to put in a little more hours and you'll know better what you want people to see in you to make you a better team player. I was just thinking about the sequel to Wall Street, where there's a scene where they have clients come over from China. At the end of the meeting, when the uh, Chinese delegation of business associates has, has is about to leave, one of the co-workers stands up and speaks a little Chinese quite badly, actually, mm. and then hands them over some American baijiu mm. as a gift, a, a parting gift as they leave. And, you know, that is kind of a wow thing a little bit. He went out of his way to try to be cultural or whatever in that instance. Yeah. So sometimes when you can just add a little bit of value by just stepping in and giving it a little bit more effort. Number four, guide others. And I think this is, goes to talent perception. Uh-huh. Guide others how to perceive your worth and at work. Mm. So this is like, again, hello, I'm Bill and I'm good at fixing your computer problems. You know, I'm not just using that as a throw all, but like maybe, you know, knowing what it is, mm. helping other people know the things that you're able to do for them for the, and for the company and for the team. I stand by what I say. You know your value and don't try to get a you guide people, but don't try to let other people take control of what they want to see in you because that happens very often as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last one, we're almost at the end of the show too. Number five, be the proverbial prom queen. And I agree with this. I used to not be. I used to be yeah. in a corporate yeah. ladder situation yeah. and I looked around at all the people who were being this way. But then I was like later, oh, they all got promoted. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Look, this is an interesting term to hear. But I will speak from personal experience that it's not just enough to for you to internalize everything we're saying here. You know, whatever you find useful, take it with you. And it's not enough to just hear from us. It's more important to say it to the correct person. For example, your HRBP, your HR business partner, your manager are more willing to hear what you want from your career than you know. And the answer usually is more surprising. You may think you're not cut out for a promotion or you're not good enough for doing something, but they see things that you don't see in yourself or they know things that you didn't think that could be done. So be outspoken, be like the prompt queen and, and, you know, really make yourself, put yourself in the spotlight. I agree with you completely. I also want to add that, you know, a lot of those people who feel, this goes back to what you said earlier, halfway through the show about branding, about building your brand. So a lot of people feel overlooked and I hate to say it because it seems rude, but they're overlooked because they're not showing other people what their brand is. They're not publishing their brand within themselves. They're not saying, hey, I'm the one who's able to fix the printer. That's a bad example. I should stop using that. But they're not saying, hey, I am able to, uh, my skills are these and I can add this value to the team. And they're not letting the other members of the team know that. So no one knows that. So they just think this is the person who sits in the corner working hard and they have no idea why or what they're really doing. And so if you want to people to perceive your value, you need to drop hints so that people know what your value is. And that can just be like saying, hey, I'm Bill and I'm good at whatever. I'm Alex Schur, and I'm extremely talented at HR relations and communication. Okay, well, we're out of time. If you guys want to add value or let us know uh, what you thought of the show, please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye, Alex. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you, Jason. We'll see you next time. 